As Pride Month launches, Twitter cracks down on Matt Walsh's What is Woman? Controversy breaks out after a pride flag is mysteriously burned at a California elementary school, and the House votes to raise the debt ceiling. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, folks, first of all, happy normal month in which we celebrate traditional virtue, recognize biological sex differences, go to church and synagogue and take care of our wives and kids. Happy, happy normal month to you. That's the month that I'm celebrating this month because that's the month I celebrate every single month. You know, the month in which virtue is a good thing and which pride is a sin and lust is a sin and greed is a sin. Like those, those are those are the months that I celebrate. I don't know about you. Corporate America celebrates Pride Month. That is a month in which you celebrate your narcissistic view of your own sexual orientation and why it's the most important thing about human life and why everyone else must celebrate it along with you. But that's not the month that I celebrate. I celebrate like, you know, like every day by trying to be a good person who does moral things. That's that's how I, I don't know. It's weird, I know. But corporate America is celebrating Pride Month. And as we discussed yesterday, there's a reason why corporate America celebrates Pride Month. And it is because many of their biggest funders, not you, the, the, the actual market, but many of the people who actually buy their stock, Black Street, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, they dump literally trillions of dollars into various corporations around planet Earth just so that they, they can control their ESG, their environmental social governance. And then they mandate that GE flip its logo on Twitter over to a Pride Progress flag during Pride Month, but not in Saudi Arabia because it might offend the Saudis, right? It's, it's one thing to offend all the Christians in the United States. It is a completely another thing to offend all the Saudis when you have to do business in Saudi Arabia. Well, we now have what I think constitutes a free speech emergency. So this emergency has been ongoing for a very long time. Obviously, there are a lot of social media platforms that have cracked down on your ability to speak freely on these sorts of issues. Corporations are now doing the work that government cannot do. So in Europe and in Canada, government does do the work. In, in the UK, you can be arrested for expressing your point of view on biblical sin. The same thing can happen in Canada. You can have your kids taken away from you in Canada if you suggest that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl under the inappropriate circumstances. In the United States, however, the government is really not supposed to involve itself in that sort of stuff. And so instead, they just work in cahoots with major corporations in order to leverage down a socially fascistic movement on you. And if you speak out on social media, you'll be silenced. If you say anything at your place of work, you could be fired. All of this has been crammed down on you. Well, we've seen it on a bunch of different social media platforms. Obviously, there have been a lot of complaints about platforms ranging from YouTube to Twitter in the pre-Elon Musk era. But when Elon Musk bought Twitter, one of the suggestions is that Twitter was going to be the free speech platform. In fact, that has been the ongoing assumption of people on the right since Elon bought Twitter because he said it at the time. He said it was going to be a free speech platform. He said, in fact, that's why he bought it. One of the things that drove him to buy Twitter in the first place and expend probably three times what the company is worth, like $44 billion in order to buy Twitter, one of the things that led him to do that was the banning of the Babylon Bee for the great sin of saying, that a man is not a woman. And then he bought it and he reinstated them. He did the same thing with Jordan Peterson, right? Jordan had tweeted that Elliot Page, who was Ellen Page, is a woman. And he'd been banned for that. And so Elon Musk reinstated him. And Elon Musk was asked by the founder of the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, my friend Seth, he was asked by, by Seth about whether the implementation of a new ad regime at Twitter was going to change the way that Twitter viewed free speech, were they still going to allow the free expression of opposition to radical gender ideology? And here is what Elon had to say. You've got like 
uh, a new CEO coming in who's sure. going to be taking over. And you want everybody else to have that same freedom, to be able to say what they want, even if it costs them something personally in their lives or whatever, to have that freedom. Um, it would seem to me that the number one thing you'd be looking for is someone who's going to come in and be as committed to free speech as you are. Um, that trumps even advertising revenue, in your view, if you're willing to lose money to yeah. be able to personally speak freely. then uh, Yeah, we've also lost so, money um, advertising money because some advertisers have got community noted. I think we, we can, we're not going to make all advertisers happy, but I think we'll make most of them uh, happy. And uh, um, there'd be enough that are happy that, uh, to support the, you know, this platform. Uh, but we're, we're not going to uh, compromise on free speech. We're not going to compromise on free speech, right? That was Elon's commitment. They weren't going to compromise on free speech. The reason I bring that up today is because we are now seeing Twitter compromise on free speech. So here is the story, and it implicates our company directly, and it implicates my friend Matt Walsh and his documentary, What is a Woman?, the single best documentary and most impactful documentary of the last decade in the United States, bar none. So Jeremy Boring, co-founder of Daily Wire, my best friend, he tweeted out, and I've, of course, been privy to these negotiations, quote, Twitter canceled a deal with Daily Wire to premiere What is a Woman for free on the platform because of two instances of misgendering. I'm not kidding. Here's what happened. So What is a Woman? We were going to premiere it for free on Twitter today and to initiate the one-year anniversary of What is a Woman? And also because, of course, it's Pride Month, the most prideful month of all the year. And so we were going to allow people to see for free. We are going to allow people to see for free What is a Woman? So Jeremy says, one year ago today, we released What is a Woman? To celebrate the occasion and expand the movie's already enormous impact, we decided to give it away for free for 24 hours on Twitter. With Twitter's recent commitments to free speech, we thought it would be the perfect place to distribute the film and drive the conversation forward on one of the most important topics of our day. Twitter responded with enthusiasm and offered us the opportunity to buy a package to host the movie on a dedicated event page and to promote the event to every Twitter user over the first 10 hours. We accepted and signed an agreement. After we signed, Twitter asked to see the film to better understand what parts may trigger users so they could better prepare their response. They said they were still all hands on deck for a launch, so we sent them a screener. After reviewing the film, Twitter let us know that not only could we no longer purchase the package they offered, they would no longer provide us any support and would actually limit the reach of the film and label it hateful conduct because of misgendering. Specifically, in the film, a father refers to his 14-year-old daughter as her, and a store owner uses the wrong pronoun in a confrontation with a trans person. We reminded Twitter they removed misgendering from their policy and that the term misgendering itself is misleading and that enforcing such a policy places them on the side of the most radical elements in society, the side most opposed to their commitment to free speech. Twitter clarified they only removed misgendering from their policy because they didn't need to be that specific, but they still consider misgendering abuse and harassment. Then they gave us the opportunity to edit the film to comply. We declined. So Twitter actually came to us and they said, we want you to remove these sections from the film and then we'll allow you to air it maybe. When we asked how much they would limit the visibility if we posted the film anyway, Twitter replied, our own followers would not be able to see it in their feeds. This, they said, is part of their speech not reach policy. So in other words, if Matt Walsh personally posted What is a Woman as an entire movie on his Twitter feed, his own followers would not be able to see it. That's how much Twitter would throttle this thing. Of course, saying you have a right to speak, says Jeremy, but we'll make sure no one hears you is a bit like saying you have a right to vote, but we'll make sure it isn't counted. That's not a right at all. We brought all of our shows to Twitter Tuesday because we believed Twitter was committed to free speech, especially on this issue. After all, the Babylon Bee was silenced on Twitter over this very issue, and that in part prompted Elon to purchase the platform. The other tech platforms have already decided where they stand in the trans debate, and they demonetize and deprioritize all those who disagree. Now Twitter has joined the ranks of other tech superpowers in ensuring one side of the debate is suppressed. Elon Musk is not beholden to conservatives. He has the right to run his business as he sees fit. 
But if Twitter is going to throttle one side of the most important debates facing society, it can't claim to champion free speech. Jeremy says, I hope Elon will reconsider this awful policy. If we can't debate these issues on Twitter, where can we debate them? If conservatives aren't welcome on Twitter, where are they welcome? It's unlikely another centibillionaire will come along to offer an alternative. We plan to post the movie anyway tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Will Twitter make good on their threat to throttle it and label it hateful conduct? Or will Twitter live up to its great promise? We'll all find out together. Okay, the fact that this is even an issue is absurd. Absurd. This film has been seen by millions of people already. Exposing it to millions more people via Twitter was the great promise of Twitter. It is the reason why there is so much hope on the center and center right that when Twitter was taken over by Elon Musk, there would finally be a free speech platform worth its salt. So we'll see tonight whether Elon Musk lives up to that commitment. But the fact that they actually pre-committed, Twitter did, Twitter corporate, they pre-committed to doing a deal where we could promote the movie, where it would appear, and then they went from that to, if you put it on Matt Walsh's account, we'll throttle it. It demonstrates full scale how the middle management of these companies, at the very least, has control over the levers of power. And that is deeply frightening. And it's, again, one of the reasons why Pride Month continues to be a propagandistic holiday on behalf of a radical secular religion. We'll get to more on the magic holy month of Pride in one second first. It's time to talk about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and the premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. In an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my own data private, I use ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there and their entire business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of those data points is your IP address. Data harvesters actually use that to link you to all of your online data. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets masked and anonymized. And so I feel safe when I go online. It's super easy to use. You hit one button, download it, one button to activate it, you're done. If you, like me, believe your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. My listeners will get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, so as we say, Pride Month is upon us. Corporate America is, is going all out for Pride Month, not, not in the countries where it could actually hurt their business. As we mentioned, GE changes its logo in the United States, but it doesn't change its logo in Saudi Arabia. And you see this with pretty much all the major multinational corporations. They'll change it in the United States. They'll change to Pride Progress flags all over the place in the U.S. and in Europe. But when they go to China, not so much. Because, of course, they do. Of course they do. Because in the end, corporate cowardice, it operates at, at every single level. Okay, so, J. Crew, just to take a few examples, J. Crew has now gone woke for the kitties. They have put out Pride Pro Progress flag t-shirts for children. It's a kid's Pride graphic tee. And it says, love is for everybody. And it's got all the different magical flags on it. It's so exciting. So exciting. Um, and, and of course, they're not alone. Now, the, the big question for conservatives is going to be, what do we decide not to shop at? Where, where do we, what do we decide to boycott? The answer is we actually have to pick and choose. You can't boycott everything. You got to pick a few companies and make examples of them. Obviously, one of the companies that has been made an example of is Target. Target is just getting absolutely crushed in the market as well it should. Target's share prices have plunged to the lowest that they have been in years. They've had the longest losing streak that they've had in five years. Their share prices have fallen for eight straight days. They plunged another 3.66% on Tuesday, reaching $133. 
Okay, that, that is down a significant percentage, like $12 billion in market cap since the beginning of the boycott against Target initiated by the fact that they were promoting Pride Progress garbage to small children. In fact, hilariously, the number one song, the number one song on the charts right now on, on the iTunes charts is an anti-Target boycott song. It is a rap song called Boycott Target. Rapper Forgiato Blow is the person who recorded this, accompanied by fellow rappers Jimmy Levy, Nick Natoli, and Stony Dude Bro. It was released May 25th in response to the Target's Pride-themed clothing for children. Here is what that song sounds like. They put a target on my back, but they're targeting your kids. They don't even need to ask, because you all know what it is. Yeah, that's why I keep a strap, and I'm always by my bears. This agenda gotta stop, then you know we're gonna win. When they target, target, yeah, they target and target, target, yeah, they target kids. So um, apparently, according to uh, these rappers, they're, they're still being targeted on social media, which, of course, is not particularly shocking. And uh, he points out the LGBTQ merch that is targeting small children, including the official rainbow yearbook for kids. Uh, this is what corporate America is doing now. We can flex our power and we have been flexing our power with regard to Target. We flexed our power with regard to Bud Light as well, obviously. But there is no question that this Pride Month, because it is a holy Pride Month, this will turn into a, a clash of worldviews. That's essentially what we're talking about here. This is not just about gear. And we're talking about celebrating particular forms of viewpoint on gender and sex. When we're talking about that, what we're talking about is a secular religion that is going up against traditional values. That is what Pride Month is about. I'll get to what I mean by all of that in just one second. First, it takes a special kind of company to kind of want to partner with this show, as you can tell. I say a lot of things that are pretty controversial. And there are a lot of advertisers who are scared of that sort of thing. Pure Talk is not one of those advertisers. Pure Talk makes it possible for me to get up here and bring you facts, logic, and truth every single day. Pure Talk shares my values and the values of Matt Walsh, Michael Knowles, Candace Owens, the rest of all of the Daily Wire hosts. That's why they are an official wireless partner of the Daily Wire. That is not the only reason. The coverage is excellent. It's premium. Pure Talk is the most dependable 5G network in the United States. I am on Pure Talk myself. We check the plans. They're top tier, but at a fraction of the cost of the other major carriers. In fact, you can get unlimited text talk and unlimited data with mobile hotspot for just 55 bucks a month. Remember, you vote with how you spend your money. So stop supporting woke wireless companies that don't support you and switch on over to Pure Talk today. You'll get great coverage and save while you're doing it. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Save an additional 50% off your very first month of coverage. That's puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans, by Americans. Go check them out right now. PureTalk.com slash Shapiro. And again, save an additional 50% off your very first month of coverage. Okay, so when I say that we have a clash of religious worldviews, we obviously have a, a clash of religious worldviews. Here is a, a great example of this clash. So according to the LA Daily News, that used to be my hometown paper. We, we were subscribers back when I lived in North Hollywood. An LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign flag placed in a plant pot outside of a classroom at Satakoy Elementary School was lit on fire. The flag was destroyed. It is now being investigated as a possible hate crime, according to the LAPD. So let's just be clear about this. The new regime in the United States is that if you burn an American flag, dissent is the height of patriotism, we've been told. It means that you are the best. You're not just American. You are the best American burning an American flag. You know, the flag for which American soldiers have fought, bled, and died. You burn an American flag, you're a hero. You kneel for the American flag, you're a hero. Right? That, that, the American flag, piss on it. All that, not only is that fine, it's just showing how much you love free speech. If you burn a pride flag, 
If you take a pride flag and you burn that pride flag, you will atone. You have committed a grave sin, a grave crime, the kind of crime no civilized society should tolerate, burning a pride flag. Again, burning the flag of our nation, you know, the one that's supposed to unify our nation, that's, no, that, that, that's fine. You can do that as much, all day long you can do that. It, but, but the moment, the moment you touch that pride flag, you put that thing down. Now, there is um, a question that I have, which is why in the world is there a pride flag in elementary school? These are small children. Why are five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds being exposed to an ideology that promotes alternative forms of sex? Why? Why is that appropriate for a five, six, or seven-year-old? I don't think it's appropriate in public school at all. I think that you should be taught about this stuff by your parents, not by some state-sponsored apparatchik who is going to indoctrinate your children into gender stupidity. I think that your parents somehow figured out how to have you, so they should be able to explain to you how that happened. I don't really feel this is that tough. In fact, Pretty much everybody I know who is in a religious community of one sort or another believes this. And so does everybody above the age of 50. It is only in the last several decades that we have decided that you must be a state-sponsored single teacher with a cat at home in order to teach kids about how sex works. And not only how sex works, but how all forms of sex work. Because the, the, the way that you used to be taught about sex in schools was here's how sex produces babies, right? This is like a basic biology course. Now, of course, sex ed encompasses everything up and including sex toys for alternative practices and why they're all so wonderful. So apparently, Pride Progress flags at the elementary school at Satakoy, totally fine. Somebody burned it. Woo! Woo! Man, get the police on that right away. Now, I mean, LA, where I used to live, is being completely overrun by crime. It's Homeless people are everywhere. Drug use open on the streets. People being murdered in broad daylight. The city is falling apart, but but we have our priorities here in secular left-wing culture. And our priority is that if you touch that, you put that flag down, you stop it. You stop it right now. You cut it out. The school has been the focus of a group of parents who are objecting to an upcoming Pride Day assembly on Friday, June 2nd, at which the school plans to teach children about LGBTQ plus identities during a book reading. Which, again, why is that happening? Why Why is it necessary to teach small children, like five-year-olds, about gay identity or intersex identity or genderqueer identity. The fire incident at the school is being investigated by the LAPD. The investigation is ongoing, they say. It is vandalism. It is hate crime. The hate crime is still significant, but it is a misdemeanor. The blackened planter and burned flag were discovered by school personnel Monday, May 22nd at 6.30 a.m. He did not know when the planter and flag were burned, this says the police, and there are no suspects. Now, there are preemptively blaming all of the uh, conservative parents. Anna, a parent in the group who asked that her name not be published in the interest of her family's safety, said she doesn't believe any member of her group is responsible for the possible hate crime. Now, listen, it could theoretically be literally a false flag. That is not a, a dim possibility. Very often in cases like this, where there is a hate, somebody hung a noose. It turns out that the person who hung a noose was some sort of activist who wanted to bring attention to a thing. It's quite possible that this is a person at the school who was in favor of the Pride Progress flag being shown to three-year-olds and decided, what if I burn this flag and then nobody knows who did it and then they blame the conservatives and then I get to act like a victim? That would not be out of bounds. Many of these cases end up being hoaxes in the United States. We don't know that. It could, maybe, maybe it's not a hoax, but it could very well be a hoax. It's a national story anyway. We now live in a country where it is a national news story for a person to burn a flag that has particular colors on it. So long as those colors aren't the American flag, right? Not, not national news if kids are getting generally mutilated 
at hospitals across the country for no reason. Yes, national news when it comes to the burning of the Pride Progress flag, because, of course, this is a religious flag. So what did they do? Well, they uh, they put another LGBTQ pride flag hanging outside a teacher's classroom now covering the window, which is really exciting stuff. According to um, according to the principal. He said that his group and the teacher have draped a larger LGBTQ plus flag on the teacher's classroom window. We raised that flag to let them know we are going to be stronger and united. So, again, this is this is the way that uh, our secular culture works. And this this does have some pretty significant ramifications for our broader society. We'll get to that momentarily. First, let's talk about how you preserve your family moments. Okay, so we had Mom's Day, right? That is the day where we celebrate the female of the species who actually progenerate children. I know these are I have to define terms now. We're also having Father's Day. That is coming up in the near future. That celebrates the male of the species who also help in the process of progeneration and then raise their children in masculine fashion. Okay, well, if you want to celebrate mom or dad or both, here's a great way to do it. Head on over to Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the best way to preserve your family memories. Like many of you, my parents have cherished memories stored away in old photos, tapes, and film. Let's be honest, they're not doing any good gathering dust up in the attic or in, in the garage. Legacy Box has helped my dad preserve and relive some of his most treasured memories. Using their all-in-one kit, he sent in old tapes and film, and their team of experts digitized them by hand with the utmost care and attention. In just a few short weeks, he received his originals back along with a beautifully crafted digital copy that he can easily share with family and friends. It's incredible to be able to access those old home videos and photos on my phone or my laptop. He gave copies to all the kids. Legacy Box is offering my listeners an incredible $9 tape offer. That's over 60% off. It's an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Visit LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Shop $9 tape and film transfers. Limited quantity available. They're selling fast. That's LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Alrighty, so why does any of this matter? Well, there are a few reasons. First of all, there are obvious symptomatic reasons why this matters. So for example, Pride Month now celebrates the idea that men can be women and women can be men. This has some pretty dramatic ramifications for particular people's lives, up to and including women just getting the crap kicked out of them. So there is apparently a trans activist named Riley Dennis. Riley Dennis likes to play soccer and injure women. And uh, he's all out of soccer. So Redux now has tape of Riley Dennis basically just destroying some lady while they're playing soccer. Here, Here we go. Riley Dennis is the very large gentleman who is running after this much smaller woman. Riley Dennis falls down. There's the woman. Bam. And down goes the lady. Because men just beating the crap out of women so long as they pretend that they're women is totally fine. No problem whatsoever. Always good. So, you know, there are obviously a lot of specific instances like this in the sporting world. It's obviously true that when you have people like Dylan Mulvaney cosplaying as women, it isn't making a mockery of women, that you are erasing women. It is female erasure to pretend that a man can be a woman. But it also has sort of deeper malign problems. Okay, so one of those malign problems, obviously, is the transing of the children. The the idea that a boy can become a girl or a girl can become a boy is the height of perversion. There is no scientific evidence to back this. In fact, all science suggests precisely the opposite. And in fact, if you go back decades when we were actually allowed to study this stuff, it turns out that moms of boys with gender identity disorder have an extraordinary propensity to suffer from borderline personality disorder. There's a study all the way back from 1991 in the Journal of American Academic Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. And what they found is that 53% of the moms of boys with gender identity disorder were borderline personality disorder. So over half of all the women who had boys were gender dysphoric, this is in 1991, had borderline personality disorder compared with 6% of the control group. And, And the numbers have now 
I would assume, only increased because we've now created a massive social contagion. Like, huge social contagion. And so the, the, the generation of vast numbers of kids who are now going to be sucked into sexual fluidity and gender ideology, those numbers are extraordinary. I mean, we are seeing thousands of percentage point increases in quote-unquote trans identity. We are seeing 21% of people who are who are born between like 1998 and 2004 now identifying as LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign. Is any of that good for human fulfillment? Is any of that good for human society? Is that good for the progeneration of society in general? Of course not. Of course not. And it's not just because of this particular wing of movement. It is because this Pride Month is itself a symptom. It is a symptom of the complete reorientation of human fulfillment away from how do you serve a community? How do you build social connections? How do you build for the next generation? And toward what do I want to screw? Okay, that, that transformation, which really began, as I've mentioned before, in the early 19th century with the Romantic movement, with, with Shelley and, and his compatriots, this idea that the true you is what lay on the inside. And it really was your sexual desire. And any imposition on that sexual desire was an imposition on the true you and threatened your authenticity. That's really broken out into the open Western society since the 1960s. You combine that feeling, which has to be, again, rooted in a narcissistic belief that there is nothing outside of you, and that itself is rooted in a secular atheistic perspective on the world. Right? These things are, are deeply connected. On a philosophical level, people who tend to believe that there is no higher meaning that can be discerned in the world, there is no natural law, there is no God, there is no revelation, there's none of that stuff, that basically the only thing that exists in the world is what you make of it, and that the most important part of you is your sexual desire, that perspective has deep and abiding societal consequences. As I mentioned before, that perspective sort of existed under the surface in Western civilization throughout the 19th century and for most of the 20th century, but it really broke out into the open in the 60s. The reason that it broke out into the open in the 60s particularly is because the consequences of that ideology were pretty grave for most of human history. If you're a person who believed that the only thing that mattered was sexual pleasure up until like 1960, chances were you're going to have babies out of wedlock, you're going to get a sexual disease, right? There are a lot of actual real-world consequences to that. Then in the 1960s, with the rise of birth control pills, with the rise of medical care and all the rest of this, with the rise of a welfare system that took care of your problems for you, what you ended up with was a society where the consequences of your own actions were now attenuated from your behavior. And so now you literally could say, okay, I will lead my happiest life because there'll be, there'll be no real-world consequences for my behavior and everybody will be forced to accept me. The, the, the reification of the individualistic, atomistic individualistic identity rooted in sex was finally able to conquer all. And that is where we are right now. And the, the consequences for that are extraordinarily dire. One of the consequences for that is that no one's having babies. Now, I know that this is supposed to be a matter of indifference to people in Western civilization. I just have a question, why? Why would that possibly be a matter of indifference? Literally, the purpose of a human being is to progenerate the species. Even from, put aside religion, from an evolutionary biological perspective, the purpose of being a human is to have more humans. It is to progenerate from a religious perspective and from any decent perspective, good values down to a next generation to transform the world in a better way on behalf of your children. That is the, the intergenerational link is what makes you a better person. A person living on a desert island in complete atomistic isolation can't be good. There's no standard of good or bad living on a desert island by yourself. The standard for good or bad really begins to apply in societies. And you really only have the ability to carry out your fulfillment as a human being when you start thinking about generations beyond yourself, like beyond when you die. But in the United States, we no longer think like that. According to the Wall Street Journal today, 
About 3.66 million babies were born in the United States in 2022. That's essentially unchanged from 2021 and 15% below the peak hit in 2007. The provisional total is 3,000 below 2021's final count. We are now seeing the number of deaths in the United States approaching the number of births in the United States overall, which would obviously mark a decline in population. Total fertility is well below replacement levels. It is 1.665. You need a fertility rate of 2.1 children per woman. That's the replacement rate for human beings if your population is growing. 1.665 means that the population is shrinking, which means that you have to rely on immigration in order to fill in that gap. In fact, the only fertility rates that are increasing in the country right now are fertility rates for Asian Americans and fertility rates for Hispanic Americans. Those are the only ones that are increased in the country right now. Since 2016, the fertility rate for white Americans has dropped from 58 or so live births per 1,000 women, age 15 to 44, all the way down to 52. In the black family, it's, it's significantly larger. Birth rates continue to decline among young people. And again, this is because when you start thinking of yourself as basically a, a machine for sexual hedonism, you don't tend to care too much about having babies or building family units, which are the predicate for having a functional society. Fascinating article by Mary Harrington over at Unheard called Why Gen Z Prefers Dogs to Babies. And she, she talks about the fact that people have decided that they are, uh, are not going to have kids anymore. This is true, by the way. In San Francisco, there are now more pets than there are children. So she, she's actually writing about London. She's not even writing about the United States. Pets at Home CEO, Lisa McGowan, thinks some of these young people have redirected their caring urges toward pets. They're taking all that time and energy and attention and putting it into fur babies, especially in urban areas. McGowan speculates this is happening because the classic milestones of adult life, like getting your own place, seem increasingly out of reach to many thanks to scarce housing, rising costs, and stagnant wages. This feels plausible, but is that all there is to it? Prospects for Gen Z are not as optimistic as for their boomer grandparents, but in absolute terms, human societies have lived through greater turbulence and gone on having kids. Liberal feminist Jill Filipovich argues if more women are opting to have fewer or no kids, it isn't so much about the financial pinch. Certainly among dog walker acquaintances locally, I can think of several childless younger millennial heterosexual couples who seem pretty sorted, good jobs, comfortably off, ideally situated. They're picking dogs instead of kids. So why exactly is that happening? I mean, the, the reason that that's happening is because we as a society have declined to have children. We do not think that the most important thing is building for the future anymore. We don't think family structure is all that important anymore. She says, Imagine you've grown up with a set of messages that suggest that sex is just a fun leisure activity and that all forms of sexual intimacy are morally equivalent. A worldview that presents embodiment, sexuality, desire, and intimacy as coruscating, infinitely varied expressive options in which what anyone does should be limited only by individual preference and mutual consent. Imagine you've grown up with that set of messages. Now imagine you're detecting yourself a buried hankering to be a mother or father. Well, what do you do? You have a dog because it runs directly up against the individualistic sexual hedonism notion for you to have babies because now you actually have to think about values and think about a family structure and think about hemming in your sexual urges and desires and think about something beyond your genitals or your general orientation or urges. And of course, the stats show this. The people who are not having kids in our society are atheists. If you, if you look at, again, there's a deep, this does not mean that all atheists are irresponsible and hedonistic, of course. There are many atheists who are not. It does not mean all religious people are traditional in the way that they perform their lives. They are not. But if you're looking at ideologies overall, an atheistic, individualistic ideology that suggests that all fulfillment is to be found in pleasure and pain, and that pleasure and pain is most choice when it comes to sexual activity, that is a society that is very, very unlikely to be durable. 
That society is not going to generate kids. It's not going to generate family units. It's not going to have a future orientation. It's going to be a society that falls apart. And so from that perspective, this really isn't even about Pride Month per se. It's just that Pride Month is the final sort of manifestation. It's the form of the destroyer in the sense that if civilization is predicated on future orientation, commitment to the family unit, generation of children in a father-mother household, and you have an entire month celebrated by corporate America and government rejecting all of those things, or at the very least pretending that that is a, a, a question of apathy to the, to the institutions that be, that there is moral apathy, that, that really any of these choices are fine. You decide you want to live in a polyamorous polycule in the Bahamas, with no kids, or you decide that you are going to get married to a woman and have four kids and live inside a religious community. And it's a matter of complete social apathy, which one of these you choose. In fact, we should be proud of the first choice. The first choice, you should be prouder of it because to, to be a member of the indoctrinated class, to be, to be a person who has given in to societal systems and institutions means that you have betrayed your authentic self, which is, of course, why you should be proud of being a member of the first. You should be proud of being a member of the second group. We have to have a pride month for the first group. This is how civilizations fall apart, obviously. And that has nothing to do with, with whether people are gay or straight. It has to do with societal orientations towards future, towards family, towards family unit, toward the difference between male and female. And so, as I say, Pride Month is less a cause than a symptom of a deep-rooted philosophy that has taken hold in the West, a post-enlightenment philosophy, a romantic philosophy that rejects societal associations and institutions that actually create a durable humanity in favor of individualistic sexual excess. Uh, that, that is what we are celebrating this month. And it does have real societal consequences as the West is about to find out and find out hard. And in just one second, the House of Representatives did indeed pass that debt ceiling increase. We'll get to that in a moment. First, did you know that our friends at GenuCell have upgraded their most popular package to feature their top-selling deep-firming vitamin C serum plus ultra-retinol moisturizer with natural retinol alternative? Right now, you can take advantage of this limited-time package upgrade for 70% off. Why waste time and money to go get worked under your face when you get GenuCell skincare shipped directly to your door? Here's a GenuCell.com review from Robert in Blessing, Texas. I purchased GenuCell as a gift for my girlfriend. She said she saw the results so fast, her skin is noticeably softer and smoother. I can see and feel a difference too. She was already beautiful and GenuCell has made her more beautiful. GenuCell's secret is a family recipe for over 20 years. It makes it safe for all skin types and perfect for both men and women. Made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches and always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. My wife has been using their firming serum. She puts it on at night. She feels like she wakes up a new person every single morning. My mom has used it as well. It's excellent. Go to GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Try GenuCell's most popular package for 70% off, featuring both GenuCell's Ultra Retinol and GenuCell's Firming Serum. Get a complimentary Spot Essentials box with every package order, plus free upgraded priority shipping. That's GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. GenuCell.com slash Shapiro. Also, if you're looking for something interesting to watch, check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11. Now, season two of what we saw is in full swing. In episode 12, a change of command comes too late to reverse the situation in Southeast Asia as Richard Nixon's program of Vietnamization eases America out of its worst directed war. But long before the last American service person leaves Vietnam, a new generation of liberators rise to the challenge of saving American tactics, weaponry, and doctrine from themselves. Bill makes you feel like you're there witnessing history. Hear this amazing story in this week's episode of Cold War. New episodes of Cold War come out every single week, but you have to be a member to see it. Go to dailywire.com slash Cold War to start watching. Okay, meanwhile... You know, as we've been talking about with regard to Pride Month, the, the media have portrayed it as though Florida is an absolute hellhole for gay people, right? It's just, it's just terrible. Because again, the media like to draw this sort of false dichotomy. The false dichotomy is this. Either you accept wholesale the left-wing Pride Month agenda, or you must be Uganda. And you want to like just go after gay people and prosecute them and put them in jail. 
Or alternatively, none of that's true, and we just don't want indoctrination of the children. Well, remember that time the entire media said about the state of Florida that you couldn't say gay in the state of Florida, which is weird because I live in the state of Florida and I have many gay friends who live in the state of Florida and they all seem fine to me. <laughs> like Dave Rubin and his husband, they're, they're fine. In, in fact, they, they kind of like it here. Well, according to Associated Press, which again has proclaimed that Florida is an unsafe place for gay people, quote, tens of thousands of LGBTQ plus people are flocking to central Florida this weekend to go on theme park rides, mingle with costume performers, dance at all night parties and lounge poolside at hotels during gay days, a decades long tradition. Even though Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida lawmakers have championed a slew of anti-LGBTQ plus laws, spurring the most prominent gay rights group in the United States to issue travel warnings to the Sunshine State, Gay Days organizers are still encouraging visitors from around the world to come to one of Florida's largest gay and lesbian celebrations. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly, clear, wow. Maybe it's just a giant sting operation. Maybe this is all just a magnet. Governor DeSantis is going to arrive with the fascist Central Florida police force and just round everybody up. Or alternatively, none of that was true in the first place. But you can always trust the media to make sure that they are lying. Okay, meanwhile, the, the House of Representatives did, in fact, pass a debt ceiling deal. That deal was struck by Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy. I've made clear that I, frankly, don't care all that much about the debt ceiling deal. The reason I don't care that much about the debt ceiling deal is because the kind of cuts that McCarthy achieved from Biden are more than I think people expected, certainly. People expected that Joe Biden was going to run roughshod over McCarthy and that he was going to be able to just increase the debt ceiling with literally no concessions to McCarthy. Instead, McCarthy was able to cap spending at 2022 levels. The, the only part of the spending that is not capped inside the, the non-mandatory spending is defense spending, which means that a lot of the discretionary spending actually will decline in future years. It's not what you'd want it. It's not what Chip Roy wanted. It's not what I would want in an ideal world. The reason I say I don't care all that much about it is because if you actually want to take on the systemic debt and spending problem in the United States, you have to touch the mandatory spending. The mandatory spending represents 62% of federal spending every single year. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all these other benefits. That stuff represents two-thirds of American spending. Another 10% is in the net interest category. So that's 72%. And then another 13 or so percent is defense spending. So you're talking about arguing over the remaining 15% and whether that 15% is going to go up or down incrementally over the course of the next 10 years. That is not going to solve the debt crisis in the United States. So I'm glad that McCarthy was able to exact some concessions from Biden. I think he showed up Biden. I think that he actually showed power over his own coalition, which by the way, is not a bad thing. I know there's, a, there's this belief inside the conservative movement and the Republican Party that you can never allow leadership to have sort of the whip hand with its own caucus. You want to know why Democrats get things done? Because they vote in lockstep. That is the reason why they get things done. Nancy Pelosi ran that thing like a machine. And even Chuck Schumer, who's not very good at it, he tends to run things kind of like a machine. He's got a problem with mansion and cinema, but everybody else votes in lockstep unison. Republicans were a fractious crew, but the reality is that if you want to get something done inside the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, if you're a Republican, does actually have to have the power to do the thing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't put pressure on him. I'm glad Chip Roy was sounding off on this stuff in the same way that I'm glad that Chip Roy exacted concessions from Kevin McCarthy when McCarthy was trying to become Speaker of the House. But the sort of outsized wailing and gnashing of teeth, let's be real about this. The spending problem in the United States is the Titanic headed toward an iceberg. The iceberg is right there. We can rearrange the deck chairs as much as we want. And maybe there are better or worse positions for the deck chairs. Maybe if we move the deck chairs closer to the railings, That'll be better for the people who are aboard the Titanic. Makes for a quicker exit. But reality speaking, it's the iceberg that's the problem. Everybody's going to ignore that iceberg until we hit it. And then we're all going to yell at each other about the deck chairs. That's really what happened with regard to this debt ceiling deal. Now, the truth is, 
Democrats are pretty upset about this. They voted in larger numbers than Republicans did for the bill, mainly because, again, once Democratic leadership says a thing, Democrats just do it. It's just a testament to the power of the Democratic caucus when it comes to their leadership contingent. Their leadership contingent is very strong. This thing passed by a 314 to 117 vote. It relied on support from both Republicans and Democrats. As a percentage, more Democrats than Republicans voted in favor of the deal. Chip Roy said, my beef is you cut a deal that shouldn't have been cut. Some Senate Republicans have threatened to slow the passage. They have agreed to cut through procedural hurdles if they're granted amendment votes, but unlikely they're going to get the amendment votes considering that, again, Democrats have control of the Senate. So they're going to be able to, to ram this thing through. Again, this is the thing. McCarthy is negotiating with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. Pretending that he's negotiating with Donald Trump and a Republican Senate is wrong. And let's be real about this too. There was a point at which we had a Republican House, Senate, and president. And you know what happened to spending? It went this direction. It went up. The bill would cut spending on domestic priorities favored by Democrats in fiscal 2024 while boosting military spending by about 3%. It then sets a 1% cap on spending increases for the 2025 fiscal year. I understand why many conservatives are upset with the deal. They wanted more. I get it. Again, the reason I'm not putting significant focus on it is because the more that we want is not going to be solved by a debt ceiling fight. It's just not going to happen. For his part, Mitch McConnell congratulated McCarthy on, uh, on getting the deal through. I think uh, Speaker McCarthy should be congratulated on uh, capturing a, a number of priorities. And the best way to look at the difference Two years ago, we were in the process of spending $1.9 trillion. And then last year, another $750 billion. So we've gone from one party spending $2.7 trillion in two years to a discussion about actually reducing government spending. So I think the American people's decision to change the House has already yielded benefits uh, for our country. You can hate Mitch McConnell. That's who's a manipulator par excellence. And what he's saying there is, is not wrong. It is not wrong. Now, let's be clear about this, too. The Republicans did vote in majority for the bill. So th there used to be a, a rule. It was called the Hastert rule. And the basic idea was that if you couldn't get a majority of your own party on board, you shouldn't put a bill up for a vote. McCarthy didn't just have a majority of his own party. He had like two to one inside his own party voting for the bill, 149 to 71. Democrats voted 165 to 46 for the bill. Remember, the question a second ago was whether McCarthy could even run his caucus. Now McCarthy has exacted concessions from Joe Biden. He has run his caucus. He's overcome a, speak, a speakership challenge, right? There just aren't the votes for it. And that's not a bad thing. You know, the parties being able to actually control their members when it comes to voting is, is probably a good thing. As I say, Democrats are not super, they're trying to pretend that they're not upset about it. They're, they're kind of upset about it. Here's James Clyburn saying, I wish we could just get rid of the debt ceiling entirely. I don't think a lot of people understand that if we allowed the country to go into default, the people at the bottom of the economic ladder would have been in a catastrophic uh, uh, place. These are people who have given their all and we ought to be taking care of them. And so, no, we should not allow them to be jeopardized with their quality of life while we argue uh, over political stuff. So, you know, I'm not a proponent of having a debt limit. I don't think we ought to have that at all. I've done the study on this. I understand Denmark may be the only other country uh, democracy that's got one. And even if their debt limit is three times above what their budget is. 
So I don't know why we have this debt limit. I wish we'd just get this thing behind us, pass this bill tonight, and let's next week start working on getting rid of the debt limit altogether. Okay, again, that's what Democrats would have preferred. McCarthy not only did not give them that, he actually exacted concessions from a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. So that is where things currently stand. Is that something the Republicans should look, should they look at that in the mouth and, and be upset about that? I, I'm, I'm wondering just why. why. Why can't you just take, like, take the victory, take the W, guys. You, you, you beat Biden on this one. Take the W. Okay, meanwhile, the 2016 race continues to heat up. More and more people are jumping in. I just, I don't understand quite why. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So apparently, Mike Pence is now going to jump into the race. Uh, he, he is the, of course, former vice president to Donald Trump. Trump is very angry at him because he didn't overturn the election, which he had no legal power to do. It was absurd. But Mike Pence wants to jump into the race. He's going to do a kickoff speech in Des Moines, Iowa. It's going to be very difficult for him because, again, Trump has basically destroyed his reputation among the Republican base for no reason. I mean, he was a good soldier during the entirety of the administration. He just refused to, you know, overturn an election that he had no legal power to overturn. But this makes him bad now. According to a person familiar with Pence's plans, quote, we view the race as absolutely wide open. Iowa is really going to solidify itself as a pivotal player. It's a place that values Pence's principles, deep-rooted faith, and uncommon character. Now, again, is it fair that Mike Pence has been sort of cast off the political stage? I don't think that's fair. I like Vice President Pence. And I think he's a good man. Is he somebody who's going to win a primary? I have a hard time seeing how. Speaking of other people who are not going to win a primary, Chris Christie continues to tilt at that windmill. The, um, the leaning tower of pizza. That dude is, um, he's still running, or should I say waddling. He is a former close Trump ally who calls the former president a coward and a puppet of Putin. But that's only after he, you know, ran around fetching him coffee for like a couple of years. And after he performed the most famous political murder-suicide of my lifetime, where he took out Marco Rubio in the New Hampshire primaries and simultaneously took himself out. It's like a political suicide bomber. And now he's back and better than ever being obnoxious. Again, Chris Christie has become a joke. Whether it is Bridgegate or whether it is him in the middle of like a, a shutdown on a beach somewhere in New Jersey, like hanging out. Like Chris Christie, man, why? Just why? The media love him because he's really pugnacious and, and aggressive. But I just don't I don't I don't see it at all. Like what what is the purpose of this thing? And the real question is, whose interest is he going to serve? Is he going to is going to be like some of the other candidates who are already in the race and spend all of his fire on DeSantis? Are we going to get a repeat of 2016 where Trump doesn't have more than 40% of the vote, but he ends up winning the primaries anyway, just because everybody else is like a, a crab pot. Everybody's just clawing each other down into the pot. Is that what we're about to see? And meanwhile, the conflict between DeSantis and Trump is escalating. And again, the, the, the contrast between how Trump goes after DeSantis and how DeSantis goes after Trump is quite a thing to see. So Trump went after DeSantis recently by saying that Andrew Cuomo did a better job in New York than DeSantis did in Florida, which is absurd. It is absurd. DeSantis responded by speaking to policy. Here is how DeSantis responded to that. So you talked about uh, changing your tone a little bit with former President Trump. I don't believe you mentioned him here by name tonight, but does this mean you're going to be a bit more aggressive with campaigning against him? So look, I'm going to respond to uh, attacks. I mean, if, if you say Cuomo did a better job with COVID than Florida did, first of all, that's not what he used to say. This is like new, like six months ago, he would have never said that, right? He used to say how great Florida was. Hell, his whole family moved to Florida under my governorship. Are you kidding me? Um, so, 
so some of this stuff, I think, is, look, if someone is saying that, I am going to counterpunch. I'm going to fight back on it. Okay, so he is right about that. So it's a content-labeled response, right? He's not insulting Trump personally. He's like, uh, dude, your entire family moved down here, and you were praising me until five seconds ago about COVID, and now I'm running against you, and suddenly I'm worse than Andrew Cuomo. So that's how DeSantis responds to attack. Here is how Donald Trump responds to Ron DeSantis. He posted this on, um, this is a press release, an official press release from the Donald Trump campaign, the Trump Make America Great Again 2024 campaign. In case you missed it, truth from President Donald J. Trump. Have you heard Rob the Sanctimonious wants to change his name again? He is demanding the people call him DeSantis, DeSantis, rather than DeSantis. Actually, I like Da better, a nicer flow. So I'm happy he's changing it. He gets very upset when people, including reporters, don't pronounce it correctly. Therefore, he shouldn't mind. DeSanctimonious. Ah, a substantive deep cut right there. Really going after the things that matter. Rob DeSanctimonious. If this is the sort of thing you think is going to win a presidential election against Joe Biden, I urge you to vote for this. If you think, however, that perhaps the best lines of attack are not calling a person named Ron Rob and then suggesting that it is a matter of public concern whether his name is pronounced DeSantis versus DeSantis. I don't know. I have doubts on that campaign strategy. I, I, I don't know. Call me crazy. I just don't think it's an amazing campaign strategy. Okay, time for some things I like and some things I hate. So things that I like today. John Cleese, who has become increasingly conservative over the years, not because he's super conservative, but just because he has not gone along with the woke left. And he happens to be a person who does comedy for a living. Uh, he's become very annoyed with the realities of the left in which jokes that are certainly funny have become unwoke and therefore verboten. There's been a push now to remove a scene from Life of Brian in which one of the characters declares that he wants to become a woman because he wishes to become pregnant and everyone makes fun of him because it's absurd. Here is the scene from Life of Brian. The body of the movement never forgets that it is the unalienable right of every man or woman or woman to rid himself or herself or herself agreed thank you brother or sister or sister where was I? I think you finished oh right furthermore it is the birthright of every man or woman why don't you shut up about women Stan you're putting us off women have a perfect right to play a part in our movement Reg why are you always on about women Stan? I want to be one what? I want to be a woman from now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Romans, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? <laughs> it is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. So, <laughs> struggle against reality. Still on the nose, man. 
oh, it's so on the nose, right? So you watch that scene, you're like, that's the actual argument we're having now. So the left, of course, is very angry at this because it was in a comedy, one of the funniest comedies ever made, The Life of Brian. And so Cleese went on Twitter and he said, a few days ago, I spoke to an audience outside London. I told them I was adapting Life of Brian so we could do it as a stage show, not a musical. I said we'd had a table reading of the latest draft in New York City a year ago and that all the actors, several of them Tony winners, had advised me strongly to cut the Loretta scene. I have, of course, no intention of doing so. So th there had been a lot of talk in the media about the possibility of him cutting the scene. He said that's, that's absurd. He said these were absolutely top-class Broadway performers. They were adamant. We would not get away with doing a scene in New York. I asked them, are Python fans not going to come because we're doing a scene they've been laughing at for 40 years? And then he said, producers tend to be scaredy cats. They don't remember that the protests in New York City when Brian was released meant we never needed to do publicity. Well, good for John Cleese. And unfortunately, that is the reality in which we now live. People are so scared of performing like old comedy. And people have said this about Blazing Saddles and pretty much all the Mel Brooks movies from the 60s and 70s, that you could not make any of those today. Okay, that, that is a funny scene. And the reason it is funny is because it is an absurdity for a man to claim that he has the right to have a baby or that he is a woman or that he has a womb or any of the rest of this. Everyone knows it's a war with reality, but you're not allowed to say that anymore because to laugh at the thing is what destroys the thing. This is the thing the left really knows. We are forced to take seriously their most absurd contentions. And the, the minute you take it seriously, now you're playing their game because the burden of proof shifts from you, from them to you. They used to have to explain why violation of reality and embrace of, of absolute absurdity was a good idea. But the minute that you start engaging in the conversation now, the burden of proof shifts to you to explain why your way of life is superior, why your logic is superior. Well, the proper response to completely absurd things is to laugh at them. And when you take laughter off the table, it takes away a giant weapon, which is why the left is trying to take it off the table in the first place. Okay, another thing that I like. So San Francisco, is having some real tourism problems. Also, people are moving out of the city at an extraordinary rate because it turns out that generally people don't like going to downtown districts that have no stores because they've all been shoplifted out of existence. And they're not real fond of watching people shoot up and die on the streets. They're not big fans of being assaulted in public and all the rest of it. Well, San Francisco has decided that they are going to counter-program this thing with an advertising campaign. And here's what that advertising campaign looks like. San Francisco, I'm coming home again, never too wrong. Oh, some um, people in bars. Yep, there we go. It's people at restaurants, fancy restaurants, no heroin addicts. Everybody is dancing or up, gay people in wheelchairs. More gay people. People in quirky outfits. One nuclear family. The nuclear family is the actual tourist attraction. Is the only one in San Francisco. Up, oh, drag queens. Yes, San Francisco. Castro Street Fair. People painting weird murals. Yeah, San Francisco. Uh, who wants to go? You guys interested? Uh, I, I feel like uh, that ad campaign is not going to work particularly well. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Okay, thing I hate number one. So I've talked to you at this point almost ad nauseum about what I've called face tattoo syndrome, right? This is the issue where you go to the Starbucks and the guy behind the counter has a giant face tattoo and you stare at him because he put a giant tattoo on his face and you shouldn't have a giant tattoo on your face because it looks weird. And so you stare at him and he's like, what are you staring at? Like the giant tattoo on your face that is meant to draw attention to you. You could have also called it blue hair syndrome or some chick gets her hair dyed blue and then you're looking at her and you're like, that's a weird color. 
And she's like, what are you looking at? Why are you looking at my hair? Because you dyed it blue. That's the reason. Well, Lizzo is one of these people. So Lizzo, the rotund musical star, the round mound of rebound. So I'm allowed to make fun of her weight. And the reason I'm allowed to make fun of her weight is because she has decided that quote unquote fat is beautiful, right? She is the one who made an issue of her body. I did not make an issue of her body. She is the one who's decided to run around scantily clad, claiming that she's the apotheosis of human beauty. I didn't do that. She was free to, you know, dress modestly and not make an issue out of her body and, and to not run entire ad campaigns centered on the idea that she is within the definitions of traditional beauty. She decided not to do that. And now she's upset that people are making fun of her. Well, according to page six, Lizzo is not trying to change her body. She's trying to scroll social media without seeing disparaging comments about it. So, I mean, first rule of social media, if you're a celebrity, I know because I am one, don't scroll social media. It is a mistake. It is always a mistake. But apparently Lizzo does that. She says she often finds herself clapping back at trolls who use their small platforms to shame her for her weight because they're the real bullies, right? The guy with three followers on Twitter who's making fun of her for claiming that she is, once again, the apex of human attractiveness. That person is the real, is the real problem. She, with her millions and millions and millions of followers, Going after the guy with three followers, he's the bully. Most recently, Lizzo went off on one specificator who tweeted a video of her performing and wrote, how is Lizzo this fat when she's constantly moving this much on stage? I wonder what she must be eating. She said, I just logged on to this app. This is the type of bleep I see about me on a daily basis. It's really starting to make me hate the world. Well, I mean, you know, a solution to that would not be to do what she did in the video that was at issue, where she was wearing a sequined outfit, including a sequined dress, and then she removed the sequined bottom of the dress to reveal that she was essentially wearing a thong. She said, someone in the comments said, I eat a lot of fast food. I literally stopped eating fast food years ago. And then she said, I'm not trying to be fat. I'm not trying to be smaller. I'm literally trying to live and be healthy. This is what my body looks like even when I'm eating super clean and working out. I have doubts. I I have some doubts. Unless she has a genetic condition, it doesn't. Because the way that you lose weight is by creating a caloric deficit. That is the way that you lose weight in this world. I I really doubt that she's eating nothing but salad and working out an hour and a half a day to look like she does. And this notion that she's just trying to be healthy. No, you are you are modeling unhealth because you are. And yes, of course, being fat is your brand. She says being fat isn't my my brand. Being fat is what my body looks like. Well, it's weird since you literally have a brand that is predicated on being large. Doesn't Lizzo? I mean, she has Yiddy which is shapewear reinvented. Why is it reinvented? Well, because it's designed for all body types with sizes, this is according to her website, from 6X on up. So yes, you literally have a brand built around you being a large person. I mean, she she has an entire Netflix show that is uh, that is rooted around her size. It's called Watch Out for the Big Girls. So yeah, you're making money off you being large. If you go the Adele route and you lose a bunch of weight, then presumably you will lose some of your brand. So yeah, again, but we're supposed to pretend that it's not happening and that all the rest. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into a big controversy surrounding Al Pacino impregnating his much, much younger girlfriend. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us.